Welcome to Gaia's Consciousness Podcast, expanding your mind and spirit. Learn even more at Gaia.com. Watch interviews, movies, and original series created to empower the evolution of consciousness. For more information, visit GaiaPodcast.com. Your journey begins here. to be here. Really exciting goings on here this weekend, obviously. And um, I feel with this last session, it's a real opportunity for us to set our minds, our hearts, our intentions on what happens now. You know, you come to an event like this and you get so much data, you get so much practice, you get so much information, so much experience. But the real import of a conference like this is not just what happens while you're here. It's more like a time-release capsule. The issue is what you take with you and what will continue to happen, what will continue to unfold after you leave here because you were here. You know, Sa was talking about how we hope that our practice will help to free the world. So I want to talk to you today about your practice and what we practice every day of our lives, and in fact, every minute of our lives, because life itself is a kind of divine curriculum. But before I go there, I want to talk about where we are as a species. We are living in what, in mythology, would be called the in-between times. We are in between two enormous epics, eras of history, ways of being. You know, we're in the 21st century, but we're still dominated by institutions that are stuck in 20th century thought. And 21st century mindset is different than the 20th century. Just like the 20th century mindset was different than the 19th. The 20th century model was mechanistic, Newtonian physics, the idea that the world was just a big machine. And so if you had a problem with that, all you had to do was just tweak a piece of the machine. And that idea emerged in large part from industrialization, first in England, then in the United States. Industrializations, the scientific revolution, brought extraordinary progress in some ways. But in other ways, we are now paying the price for a terrible imbalance that occurred because of it. When I was in college, there were these, remember how when you're in college, you have these huge art art posters from museums that often you put on your walls, at least we did. And there were these huge pictures of like these enormous angels. And they were by a Scottish painter named Edward Burne Jones. I didn't know he was. I just knew that I loved these angels. And then years later, I was writing a book, Healing the Soul of America. And I was reading a lot about the transcendentalists. I was reading a lot about Emerson and Whitman and Thoreau and all of these people. And I saw, and so I was fascinated when I was walking up the street on Fifth Avenue in New York City and I passed uh, the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And you know how the Metropolitan, many of you I'm sure know, that when they have these exhibits, they put these huge flags, these huge banners out in front of the museum telling you what the exhibit of the day is. And the exhibit going on at that time were these huge angels from Edward Burne Jones. 
Now, I was so excited, so I went in. I thought, I'm going to actually get to see these paintings. But you know, when you go to museums these days, they, you can get these little boxes you can listen to and put in the earphones, and they'll tell you the history of the painter and the art and all of that. What I had not known, but what was so interesting to me years later at that time, having read Emerson, having read Whitman, having read that there were these artists and these philosophers in the United States and in Britain who were saying to the industrialized West mind, watch out, you're getting so mesmerized by the outer world. You're gonna let your internal muscles wither away. We're going to lose soul contact. We're going to lose touch with our inner powers. Don't go there, be careful. I had not realized years before that Edward Byrne Jones in, in painting those angels, he was one of those schools, he was part of that school of thought. And this was his line, every time they build a machine, I will paint an angel. <laughs> well, it's cute. And on the other hand, we know that it's actually not cute what's happened. And at the end of the 21st century, we, we do. Maybe we didn't understand it when they were telling us. We were so mesmerized by the outer uh, uh, machinery and vicissitudes and mechanisms of Western materialism, the scientific revolution, industrialization, etc. But now at the beginning of the 21st century, we're very clear that while we, much has been achieved, much has been lost. And not only has much been achieved, but much has been lost, much that has been achieved has actually created challenges, or at the very least was not able to forestall challenges that we find with the mechanistic mind, we have absolutely no power to change. Now what I just said is not news. We're not. Uh, living at a time where the fact that something is horribly broken is news to anyone. We're living at a time now where we are challenged to think very, very deeply about who we need to be now and what we do now, need to do now in order to rebalance our consciousness so that we can rebalance our world. Now, as I said before, we're living between two historical epochs. Think about what it's like at the bottom of South America where the Pacific meets the Atlantic. One world is dying and another world is struggling to be born. If you think in terms of archetypes, it's easy to look at something like the United States and, uh, today and in some ways say, well, this looks a lot like the fall of Rome. And then it's also very easy to look at the United States and other places in the world today and look at rooms like this and go, no, 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 another world is struggling to be born. Something new is emerging. And so you might say, well, which is it? And the answer is, it is both. It is both. And with every thought that we think and every action that we take, we actually energize one world or the other. Our job at this time, living at this time, is that we be both death doulas to the world that is dying and birth doulas to the world that is struggling to be born. Part of what is dying has to die. But even that which has to die contains within it support for thousands and thousands of people. You can't just say, oh, let it die. Some of what is threatened now are things that we do not wish to see die. So the idea of being a tender death doula is very important. We must be conscious about that which is dying. We can't say something like, oh, let it die, when you're talking about the health and the well-being and the safety of millions of people on the planet. But we're also being called to be birth doulers to that which is struggling to be born. And the birth of a new civilization, just like the birth of a child, is messy. 
there's a lot of blood and gore sometimes in the birth of a child, and unfortunately, there's also sometimes blood and gore, not only in the death of one civilization, but in the birth of another. But this is the moment in which we're living. Now, civilizations are, in many ways, like the physical body just like the human mind is in many ways like the physical body. And one of the things that you've talked about this weekend has been the mapping out of these templates, these patterns that you see, you see everywhere, both within the body, in nature, and within civilization. Now, when a sperm meets an egg, pregnates the egg, these obviously miraculous processes begin to occur, and cells begin to divide and they are assigned through a kind of natural intelligence. Every cell assigned to a kind of natural intelligence. You go and you're gonna meet other cells and you're gonna form a brain. You gonna go with other cells and you're gonna form a pancreas. You go with other cells and you're gonna form the eyeball. You go with other cells and you're gonna form the, the lungs and so forth. And not only does that natural intelligence within every cell of the body form the body, but that same natural intelligence is at work in your body right now. As cells are born, cells are led through natural intelligence to collaborate with other cells. That's why you're breathing right now. That's why you are thinking right now. That's why your heart is beating right now. But sometimes something goes wrong. Scientists understand why for some, in, to some extent and to another extent do not understand why. And that's when a cell disconnects from its natural intelligence. It no longer follows the natural intelligence that would lead it to collaborate with other cells in order to serve the healthy functioning of the organ and the organism of which they are part. Rather, the cell disconnects from its collaborative function and becomes competitive instead. It disconnects from its collaborative function and goes off to do its own thing. I don't want to just serve the healthy functioning of the pancreas. I want to do my own thing. And I'm going to gather around me other cells that are similarly dissatisfied with the idea that they're only here to serve the healthy functioning of that which is larger than itself. And of course, that dysfunctional, malfunctional kingdom is called a tumor. That's what cancer is. It is a malignancy when a cell splits off from its collaborative function, forgets that, no, you're here to serve something bigger than yourself, that is a malignancy in the body, and it is a malignancy in consciousness as well. And that is what has happened to the human race. We have been infected by a malignant consciousness. We have been infected by the thought that it's all about me. We have been infected by the thought that we are separate from others. You know, unfortunately, there is a lot of talk these days about the nuclear bomb. The nuclear bomb comes from fission. It comes from the splitting of the atom, A-T-O-M, which comes in consciousness from the splitting of atom, A-D-A-M. We forgot we're one with each other. We forgot we're here to collaborate with each other. We forgot that we are here to serve something bigger than any of us. We're, we forgot that if we do forget that, then ultimately we can destroy not only the organ, but the cell itself. And so what is being born is a memory. What is being born is a divine remembrance, not only of who we really are, but why we are here. 
You know, all the great religious systems tell stories, and there are universal themes at the heart of all the great religious and spiritual traditions. And those universal themes are like holograms. And one of the holograms is the story of the birth of Christ. It's, I say that it's a hologram because the mystical and metaphysical traditions don't see this in terms of an ecclesiastical religion institutionalized with dogma and doctrine, but in terms of metaphysical truths of consciousness. Mary was asleep. We've all been asleep. In the Course in Miracles it says, in the Bible it says that Adam fell asleep and nowhere does it say that he woke up. This is the time when a great awakening, a collective awakening this time. You know, sometimes people say to me, ah, oh, you know, this language, this patriarchal language in Christianity and Judaism, God is he, enough is enough. But you know, for me, when I think of God as he, I don't, you know, there are male and female plugs, you know. Nothing genital there going on. Nothing gender going on. In the Eastern religions, there's the masculine principle of Yang, and there's the feminine principle of yin. So to the extent to which spirit or masculine is he, to that extent if God or the spirit for, uh, in, in the Eastern religions, yang or masculine is spirit, yin, feminine, the earth. You know, we say mother earth all the time. I've never heard anybody say, why do we say mother earth? Huh? Why don't we say father mother earth? We don't because it's instinctively a feminine force. Spirit, masculine, and if God is he, then the human heart is she. And Mary is the human heart. She's one out of many, many ways to express the idea of the divine feminine, which is within us all, which is the human heart, which becomes impregnated. Mary is awakened from her slumber. The very fact that you're at a conference like this means, you know, talked to by the angels, an angel awakened her. In The Course in Miracles, it defines an angel as the voices for God. The I'm sorry, the thoughts of God. Something said, you know, think of a meditation class. Maybe I need to, to learn something spiritual. Maybe I need to go to one of those conferences at Gaia. Something occurs to us. It might be a person. It might be something we read. It might just be a thought that says, you know, wake up. Wake up. Something else needs to go on. Go up onto the roof. And that's what the prayer space is, the meditation space, conferences like this. And you're told something's going to happen inside you. Something's going to happen inside you. Something new is going to emerge. Because nothing's going to happen that's new in the world until there's something new in us. One thing that you come to conferences like this anymore, it's not news to anyone at a conference like this anymore, that thought creates reality. You know, I've been doing what I do for decades. The era of data collection is over. People don't hear what people like myself say and go, oh, I've never even heard such a thing. That's not what you say anymore. We've all read the same books. We've all listened to the same tapes. Today, you're more likely to say someone next to you, isn't that interesting that she brought that up? That's exactly what we were talking about last night. Everybody's getting it. The issue's already been downloaded. We get it. The issue is what we're going to do with it now. And the issue, if you just sit with all this material, so Mary is told something new is going to emerge from deep within you. You are going to give birth, and of course, in the Christic metaphysical tradition, that the Christ is the word used there, fathered by God and mothered by our humanness. And that is the ultimate evolutionary next step that we become that which we are capable of being, which means we evolve beyond the state of spiritual sleep in which we have been made to think that all we are is physical beings. 
That has been our spiritual slumber, that we think that all that's going on is what we can perceive with our physical senses. And if we think that all that's going on is what we can perceive with our physical senses, then we live in a world of randomness. And living in a world of randomness, we cannot be happy. To the extent to which we think that the world is random and we have to just compete to get some piece of the pie because there are only so many pieces of it and we were physically born and that was the beginning of our existence and we physically die and that's the end of our existence and just do what we can to maybe get what we can but after all we can't forget you know we're not really quite good enough we're not old enough and then about for a minute we're an age we're the right age and then after that we're too old and then other people might not like us even if at some point we think we might be okay and of course we've got the older we've got, we get, the more layers of experience, so the more successes we might have had, the more uh, failures we might have had, and we grasp and we do whatever we can to get what happiness we can, because we think if we get this or get that, then we might be happy, but then if we get it, we're happy for like a minute, and then we're worried we're gonna lose it, and then after a while of doing that enough, we figure out, oh, I'm gonna die soon. <laughs> and that's what the ego mind, which is the thought of our separation, tells us that life is. And out of all of that illusion of what it's all about, we are scared of other people. And being scared of other people, we think we're better than other people, or we think we're not as good as other people. And that leads us to fractured thoughts. And out of that emerges hell on earth. And those hells on earth are our own personal despair or the externalized forms of violence and, and even war that we are so clear uh, about even as we speak. So in order for the world to change, we are going to have to change. Now let's go back to how the human body operates. The human body works in a healthy way when it works in the way we talked about, every cell being guided through a natural intelligence to do what it is supposed to do to collaborate with other cells. Now sometimes the body is assaulted, it is injured, it is ill. But actually, the body can take a lot of assault and a lot of injury and a lot of illness as long as there is a healthy immune system. Because when we talked about all those various systems, whether it's the brain or the heart or the lungs or anything else, one of those biological systems is the immune cells. So the immune cell works in such a way that when there is a wound, when there is a problem, white blood cells rush to the wound and the immune cell sets in. The immune system sets in, and it's amazing how much the body can take and heal from as long as there's a healthy immune system. And there's a psychic immune system, too, and Big Pharma needs to figure that out. Or actually, they don't need to figure that out. We need to stop allowing them to make so many billions of dollars on the fact that we're forgetting that it exists, and that is a psychic immune system. <clears throat> and a psychic, a psychic immune system means that we can take a lot of trauma. We can take a lot of heartbreak. We can take a lot of psychic injury as long as our psychic immune system is healthy. And what I want to talk to you about now is that civilization can take a lot of wounding. Civilization can take a lot of assault. Civilization can take a lot of attack as long as the immune system of civilization is healthy. And you and I need to think of ourselves now as cells in the immune system of human civilization. The question of what I do when I leave here means how do I reconnect to my natural intelligence so that just like every cell in the body says, you go there, you go to the pancreas, you go to the lungs, you go to the heart, you go to the brain, you go to the blood. 
all of us already have felt the direction. You, you're going into the arts. You, you're going into education. You, you're going into business. You, you're going to marry that person. You, you're going to have that child. You, you're going to do this. You, you're going to do that. And politics is like a collective assignment. The problem with the world now, it's not that we're in trouble. The problem is that we are a weakened immune system. The problem is that not enough of us have quite figured out how to awaken to our own natural intelligence at this time. You know, the Course in Miracles says the, God has an answer to every problem the moment the problem occurs. And that God having an answer to every problem doesn't mean something's going to happen over there that's going to fix it. What that means is, each and every one of us, should we make ourselves available? Should we make ourselves receptive? And should we be willing? And I remind you, good intentions are not enough. Knowing the data is not enough. Knowing the metaphysical principle is not enough. Having the receptivity, having the courage, waking up every morning and saying in whatever way is true for us, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say? And to whom? Here's what I know how to do. Can that be useful? Here's what I'm not very good at, but can that be useful? And will I have the courage? And we can see all over the world at this time, and this is a real lesson for Americans. Uh, this is a real time of lessons for Americans. We, you know, so I'm so tired of hearing people in the transformational community saying, I'm so traumatized by the whole thing. The world is just so negative now, and I'm just so traumatized by the whole thing. Excuse me. Excuse me, particularly the women of America. Excuse me. Do you think the people who walked across the bridge at Selma weren't traumatized? Do you think that the women suffragettes who stood up for w the women's right to vote, and for that reason alone, were thrown into prison? And the conditions in the prison were so horrifying. They, 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 went, on a, they went on a hunger strike in order to protest the conditions in the, in the prison. Remember, these are women around the turn of the, uh, the 20th century, and the prison system sent men into their cells, forced onto these women these medical contraptions, metal contraptions to force feed them. Gee, you think they weren't anxious? You think they weren't traumatized? Do you think that the abolitionists had happy days all the time? Do you think the women suffragettes had happy days all the time? Do you think that the civil rights workers had happy days all the time? We're not going through anything in our time that other generations have not gone through. And we're not going through in this country anything that other countries are not going through, and other countries are going through worse. But I remind you, those of you who are my fellow Americans, that Winston Churchill is famous for having said, you can always count on Americans for doing the right thing after they have exhausted every other option. <laughs> and it is true, it is true historically that if you look at the history of our country, sometimes we're late to get there. But I'll tell you something, once we do get there, we slam it like nobody's business. When we wake up, we really wake up. When we do realize, what the hell have I been doing with my life? What the hell have I been doing in my life? What matter does it make that I've learned all this data I've gotten all this information if I'm not willing to wake up in the morning and say, in whatever words are true for me, God use me. And just as the physical immune system works, you know, once I was, I was running, I know this is very stupid what I'm about to tell you, but I was running on cement that there were these huge trees, you know, and these huge trees where the roots are so big that they that they you know, lift, lift up the cement, and that's what I'm running on. Hello. So big surprise, I fall. 
And I instinctively put out my hands in front of me um, to protect myself. And of course, I got these huge gashes on my hands. And because it was on my hands, it was so interesting for me watching the healing process. And I saw how bright red my hands got. And I mentioned to a friend of mine who was a doctor, oh, I guess those are red blood cells. He said, no, we're in there, actually white blood cells. But he started explaining to me that all those cells had been activated, had rushed to the wound. And I started thinking, how did they know where to go? They knew where to go. The system knew, go, go to the hand. This is where the wound is. Each and every one of us are capable of being the solution at this time. Each and every one of us ourselves, it's not like one of us is going to fix everything. But if we think of ourselves as part of a large constellation, of a, par a part of a natural system, think of the universe as a huge, and I know there have been a lot of people talking this weekend about various aspects of this, that the universe itself is like a gigantic mind. Some people think of it as the mind of God. Now, the thing is this, in this thinking, imagine that it's not, I was mentioning to someone earlier that, you know, we were talking before about the, the, the mechanistic universe of the 20th century. There is a British physicist named James Jeans, and he said, it turns out the world is not one big machine. It turns out it's one big thought. The Course in Miracles says we are ideas in the mind of God. When you pray, when you meditate, when you practice mindfulness to say you are reconnecting with your natural intelligence and to say I am receiving alignment with the mind of God is the same thing. So in, think of the universe as, as this gigantic computer. Think of it as, as a computer that is so brilliant and knows everything to such a gigantic, like an nth detail that it goes Everything she's ever been through and everything she's done and everything she's learned and everything she's capable of will have greatest exponential power to heal her and heal all living things if she connects with somebody who today is in Denver, but through this gigantic computer will make sure that she's in Denver just the time, the moment when he is in Denver, because everything that he has done and everything he's ever been through and everything he's capable of being, when coming together with her, will bring both of them the opportunity to do the greatest that they can do and to work together so that exponentially they serve the world. Now this is the deal. Every acorn is already programmed to become an oak tree. Every bud is already programmed to become a blossom. Every embryo is already programmed to become a baby. The difference between you and me and the acorn is that we can say no. That's what free will is. So she might get a gut feeling, go to Denver tonight. She goes, why would I go to Denver? Something inside her says, just go to Denver. She gets a phone call. Somebody says, why don't you come have dinner with me or a breakfast meeting tomorrow in Denver? And your rational mind says, it makes no sense why we go to Denver. She doesn't know yet if your gut says, go, go. She doesn't know yet that there's a voice telling her. So she misses that opportunity to meet the person who would have been at that breakfast meeting. But even that's OK, because the universe is so brilliant that it's like a GPS. So if you take a wrong turn or you take the turn that's not the perfect opportunity for you to work at the greatest, highest, highest exponential level, it'll arrange something else. 
The point is we are programmed for the highest level of creative possibility and manifestation, which happens to be unlimited, just as the bud is programmed or the acorn is programmed. The point is, until now, in too many ways, we've been saying no. In too many ways, we've been disconnected from that voice, that divine intelligence, that voice for God, whatever you call it. That's why the word religion comes from the Latin root religio, which means to bind back. You know, Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher, said the, the, um, uh, every problem in the world, he said, stems from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. We are assaulted every day, every moment of every day. We are assaulted by the noise of the world. And the noise of the world emerges from the dominant thought system of the world. And the th dominant thought system of the world is based on fear because it's based on the original, i.e., sin, i.e., mistaken thought, which is that we are separate from each other. If you only look at the world and filter your perceptions of the world through your physical senses, then we are separate from each other. You're over there, and I'm over here. But the eyes of the physical world are not the eyes that show us ultimate reality. The third eye, the vision of the Holy Spirit, whatever language you use, helps us to, to extend our perception beyond the physical to what is true on, behind, beyond the veil of the physical illusion of separation to the truth which lies beyond, the unalterable truth which lies beyond. And in that world, we are not separate, but one. So the Course in Miracles says we are like sunbeams, thinking we're separate from other sunbeams. We're like waves in the ocean, thinking we're separate from other waves. Just think about this. Think how different your life is if you're a sunbeam thinking you're separate from other waves versus you think of yourself as a sun, excuse me, a wave that is separate from other waves versus thinking of yourself as a wave that is part of the rest of the ocean. If I think of myself as one wave, separate from all the other waves, how can I not be terrified of all the other waves? How can I not live in constant fear that I will be annihilated, that I will be completely destroyed by some bigger wave that overwhelms me? But if I realize that there's actually no, wave where I, no place where I stop and the other wave starts, that actually we're all connected, then I realize I'm the ocean. Man, I move, the ocean moves. The, motion, the ocean moves, I move. So the first one makes me feel powerless in comparison to the power of the ocean. The second makes me realize the power of the ocean is in me. And that is a completely different psychological perspective. There's a line in The Course in Miracles that says, the physical birth is not the beginning of life, but a continuation. Physical death is not the end of life, but a continuation. That's a completely different psychological orientation to life. I was here, and a minute later I die. That's one orientation. Another orientation is I've been here forever, I've always been here forever, and actually time doesn't exist anyway. And death is not the punishment, death is the reward. <laughs> it's a completely different psychological orientation. One, I'm only here about me, getting what I want, telling, uh, trying to get what the world tells me would make me happy, but the world tells me what would make me happy is probably just trying to sell me something anyway. There's one, that's one way to live, and there's another way to live, and that's I'm here to serve the ages. And I'm no better or worse than anybody else, as the Course in Miracles says, 
all of the children of God are special and none of the children of God are special. There's a perfect ecosystem in, the, in civilization just like there's a perfect ecosystem in the body. No cell is any more or less important than any other. Every cell is absolutely necessary and every cell has as an important role to play. The Course in Miracles says that you have a role to play that's no better and no worse than anybody else's role to play. But if you try to figure out what role you're supposed to play, how would you know? You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It's like if this lady says, I don't know, I get this gut feeling I should go to Denver. My friends say I should go to Denver, but it doesn't make any sense why I should go to Denver. So maybe I won't go to Denver. And then the next day, this woman says, oh, you should have been at this breakfast meeting. That was this amazing person you should have met. So the issue is to know that my rational mind can only take me so far. My rational mind is good at figuring out how to get to Denver, but my rational mind is not the best indicator of whether or not I should go. There's another voice that will tell me where to go and what to do. And that's why you wake up in the morning and you don't go immediately to the phone and you don't go immediately to the computer and you don't go immediately to the newspaper. Because in the morning, we download the thinking that will dominate our consciousness throughout the day. Every great religious and spiritual system that I've ever read about talks about the importance of mourning. Blaise Pascal, again, the, uh, every problem stems from man's inability to sit quietly in the room alone. There's a Yiddish term, spilkes. It means you can't, can't sit still. Somebody can't sit still. Anybody old enough to remember the Diane Keaton movie, Baby? What was it called, Baby Boom? And remember how her foot was always like this under the table? She had spilkes, right? The whole world has spilkes now. Nobody has any impulse control. And that is exacerbated and also much more dangerous in our lives because of social media. When I was a kid, my mother used to say, count to 10 before you say anything. Nobody counts to 10. There are people who've ruined their careers because they tweeted something before they counted to 10. There are people who have made huge mistakes. How many times? Who here has not had the experience of sending a text afterwards? Oh, my God, if I only hadn't sent that text. <laughs> right? We, we are not reflective. We are not deep. And we're always trying to figure out what to do. I want some, some graffiti. It said, to be is to do. Schopenhauer, to do is to be. Hegel, do be, do be, do. Sinatra. I love that. <laughs> From a spiritual, metaphysical perspective, you want your being to precede your doing. Too much of our doing is mere hysteria. Too much of our doing is just adrenaline-based. Too much of our doing is based on false concepts of what we should even be doing or what we should do it for. To ground ourselves in spirit first means you go into the vertical, you get yourself, <clears throat> as the Course in Miracles says, the primary responsibility of the miracle worker is to accept the atonement for himself. The atonement is the correction of our perception. You correct your perception, as the Course in Miracles says, miracles are everyone's right, but purification is necessary first. Until I purify my mind of my unforgiveness, until I purify my mind of my judgmental thoughts, unless I purify my mind of my bitchiness and my whining and my victimization and my control and my negativity in any moment, miracles are not moving through me. Miracles emerge as expressions of love. They do not emerge as expressions of victimization, anger, frustration, and all of those things. So you go into the vertical before you change the, before you even approach the horizontal. And this is really good news, everybody, because one of the reasons people are upset today is because in so many areas, whether it has to do with the environment, whether it has to do with war or anything else, people look at the horizontal 
And we don't see where there's an answer. I mean, the whole world is going through it right now, what to do with Putin. And it's, it's rough. And some of the best minds on the planet literally are trying to figure it out. And some of the best minds on the planet are trying to figure a lot of this stuff out. But there's a way in which the mortal world, the material world, in some ways, are all sewn up. But you know what? The horizontal plane isn't where the new world gets born. Pregnancy happens inside, in the womb, is where it happens first. Impregnated, once again, Mary, the Immaculate Conception, impregnated by spirit, that's what's going to change the world. Our, our consciousness is the womb of our collective rebirth, right? That's why older women matter. So the younger women, you're needed. You're needed for, because the species is not going to procreate. The species will not survive unless there are enough young people involved in giving birth to new people. But the species will also not survive unless enough of us have been through enough are willing to give birth to some more wisdom on this planet. And that is the wisdom that emerges from consciousness. So first we go into the, into the vertical every day. You wake up in the morning, you take a shower, you take a, you take a bath, you brush your teeth. Why? Because you don't want to take yesterday's dirt or, on, into, into today. But if you don't meditate, if you don't pray, if you don't reflect, if you don't do mindfulness, whatever your practice is, then you're taking the stress from yesterday into today. And with your own dirt, it's just the dirt on your body. I don't know, maybe one other person. I don't know what you do in your life. Maybe it's two people. I don't know. But when it comes to stress, when it comes to stress, you're taking stress of everybody in your life. You're taking the stress of people in the Ukraine. You're taking stress of people in Russia. You're taking stress of people in Yemen. You're taking stress, so much stress. And then you're, people don't understand why we're depressed by noon. We have to purify our consciousness, and that's why the morning is so important. So whatever your practice is, and it includes this idea that once I'm in my state of being that I'm supposed to be in, then and only then can I trust the guidance I'm getting about what to do. Because until I clear my consciousness, my guidance about what to do will be the voice of my ego, and it will be based always on my perception of lack from the past. Well, I don't have enough this, and I don't have enough that, and so I need to try to get it, which means my core belief is that I'm not enough and I don't have enough, which means I will go out and do things that actually recreate my condition of lack. But if I get clear through whatever my practice is, I'm no better or worse than anyone else, but I am enough. And not only do the ways in which I've succeeded in my life give me what I need to move forward, the ways in which I've even failed in my life give me the things I need in order to move forward. As they say, don't let your past defeat you, let your past teach you. And you know that that incredible, incredible brain, which is the universe itself, is such that it knows exactly how I can best be used, where I would best be used. I remember when I started the Course in Miracles. I was so, I had the, I call it now the characteristic overzealousness of the new student. Oh my God, God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? You want me to go to India? I'll go to India. You want me, where do you want me to go? Tell me where you want me to go. And I sat and I listened and I heard, Los Angeles. <laughs> Los Angeles. And then I got, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And I felt like little voices were saying, well, she can talk. And what I learned from my experience, <laughs> what I learned from my experience is that whoever we are, whatever we do, 
everybody has something. And there is no spot, as my friend Mary Morrissey always says, there is no spot where God is not. Whether it's Los Angeles or Calcutta, whether it's Denver, Boulder, or the Ukraine, no matter where we are, I tell you something, I have some big news for you. I know exactly where you're supposed to be. <laughs> I know exactly where you're supposed to be, and I know exactly what you're supposed to do. You want me to, you want to tell you? You ready for this? Because I got this news for you. I know exactly where you're supposed to be. I know exactly what you're supposed to do. Are you ready? Yes. You're supposed to be in this room listening to this talk. <laughs> How do I know that? Because you are. Because you are. Every moment, wherever we are, is it. The issue is how you're doing. And you know, you know how you're doing. Are you looking at me going, you know, uh, you know this, this is probably the way it's working. Probably there are some people going, wow, this is good. You know, I've been reading her books. I really, uh, really uh, like her and appreciate her. And you're having very nice thoughts about me. And I'm really grateful. Some of you might going, I think she's a little nuts, but I, I, she's sincere. I, I appreciate that she's sincere. But some of you might be, for whatever reason, uh, choosing to close your heart or have judgmental thoughts towards me. None of that affects me, but it affects you. And it has nothing to do with me. Take ownership of your transformation through Gaia Events Plus. Open yourself up to the great possibilities that are within you. Learn from the world's top experts with Gaia's life-changing workshops. You have to say, I want this help. I want this connection. A mission and a purpose is just a journey to find yourself. This is very, very powerful. Anybody can do this. Gaia.com. Content you can't find anywhere else. For more information, visit Gaia.com slash events plus. Every single moment we choose. Remember this world that's falling apart versus this world that's being born? Every single moment we choose. When I was young, some of us remember back in the day when they used to say, if you're not a part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Every single moment we are choosing, we're choosing consciously or we're choosing unconsciously. Are we going to reenact the original error of separation by thinking, I'm better, I'm worse, I have to compete, this is about me being different than other people, or am I willing, through the grace of God, whatever our practice is, seeking to extend our perception beyond the veil to see no matter who we're looking at or no matter who we're thinking of, that person is an idea in the mind of God, just like I am. One begotten son means we're all it. There's only one of us here. If I have any bit, bitchy, judgmental, negative thought about that person, this is my stuff, my opportunity to learn. I can place it into the hands of the great transformational energy now by whatever name I call it. And to the extent to which I do that, realizing that every single moment is part of my individual curriculum, every single experience, every thought I have is perfect challenge for me, an invitation to either open up in greater love and expansiveness and forgiveness or shut down. And every moment I make that choice and I don't have to be anywhere else. It's the people I know right now, the people I'm thinking of, the people in my experience right now. The more I do that, 
the more expanded I am, the more I will invite into my environment other people who are dwelling on the same level of expansiveness so that exponentially we can serve the world more than either of us could individually. Or if I'm coming from ain't it awful, I'm a victim, they're not good or they don't like me, then I will attract into my life other whiners. <laughs> and together we will be a tumor on this civilization, serving no one parasitically robbing the civilization of what we so desperately need right now, which is the life force of new life and spirit. So when Saw said, when we leave here, may our practice help free everyone. We probably know the quote as we are freed of our own, I, don't know, I think I'm the only person who hasn't memorized it. Something as we're free of our own limitations, we help free others. As we see every situation in our lives, as an opportunity to just be a better person. It's not really uh, so dramatic. Accumulated, it's dramatic. Because accumulated enough times, you know, I always say to myself, about myself anyway, you know, I'm not an enlightened master, but I'm a lot better than I used to be. And it's called growing up. It's called maturing. Uh, many years ago, I used to do these, um, uh, aid support groups. And I remember a man one day said to me, um, Marianne, I'm, I'm not going to be there later this afternoon because I'm, I'm doing good this week. And I remember saying to him, well, maybe this week you're supposed to come to support someone else who's not doing so good. And the whole thing at that time with AIDS uh, virus was your amount of T cells, the number of your T cells. So we used to do this visualization every, at the end of every uh, support group. And he didn't have as many T-cells as they wanted. And he didn't have as many T-cells, and he didn't have any T-cells, but we would do this visualization. We'd put a basket in the middle of the circle, and everybody would walk over and give their T-cells. And then everybody would walk away with the whole basket. We would share our T-cells. You know, one of the um, stories in the Bible that the metaphysical types try to avoid, you know, everybody selectively reads it. And uh, <clears throat> one of the ways that the transformational types don't like to read is the story of um, the apocalypse. And the apocalypse is, of course, a great battle. Uh, the forces of good and evil, a great battle after which there are a thousand years of peace. And um, if you look at this story metaphysically, it's not that there is this one big war. Or it would be more accurate to say we have a choice whether or not it's one big war. The alternative to one big war is that you realize your cancer diagnosis was your apocalypse. Your bankruptcy was your apocalypse. Your divorce was your apocalypse. Your getting sober was your apocalypse. The experience of your people, your tribe, was your apocalypse. The persecution of your people was your apocalypse. The persecution of your people was your apocalypse. And we go through these things, and we become wise. So we have one of two choices, everybody. You can take the wisdom that you got from your apocalypse, and I can take the wisdom that I got from my apocalypse. And you can take the wisdom that you got from your apocalypse, and you can take the wisdom that you got from your apocalypse, and we could all come together in such a way that while none of us are perfect, we've, enough of us have become good. None of us have become enlightened, but enough of us have become wise that we will not then have to manifest a collective externalized apocalypse. The hour is late.
sometimes people say how depressed they are, but I tell you, there's a way in which if you're looking at the world today and you're not depressed, I don't know who you are. Sometimes the fact that we're sad is not dysfunctional. It means that something's working. You know, the physical body, if, my, if I break my leg, my brain registers physical pain. It's a sign. Reset the bone. The fact we're in such psychic pain is a sign. It's functional. It's not dysfunctional. Reset your thinking and reset your world. I don't know, given the unbelievable amount of unnecessary suffering today, how anyone could not or even would want to be someone not feeling a level of the suffering. But if you stand in the midst of spiritual wisdom, whatever your path, whether it's Christian, you know, well, there's a crucifixion, but then there's the resurrection. Yeah, if you're Jewish, yeah, there was that slavery in Egypt, but then there was, uh, there was the deliverance of the promised land in every single religious and spiritual tradition. The hard stuff is not the end of the story. But the good stuff had to come through people. Jesus on the cross, there was somebody to his right on the cross, somebody to his left on the cross. They, we were not told, were resurrected. It was his consciousness. And the story of the exodus from Egypt into the promised land, it was the consciousness of Moses. And in this collective rebirth, in this collective resurrection, in this collective journey to the promised land that we all wish for so much, it is collective downloading. You go there and do that. You go there and do that. You go there and do that. All of us, to the extent to which we make ourselves willing, make ourselves receptive, quiet ourselves enough, work on no longer coddling our neuroses in ourselves or in other people. Enough, enough with how much you hurt today and more how much did you meditate today. Not how much you hurt and more where you were strong, let me support you in being strong. All of us have what it takes. It's not midnight yet, it's the 11th hour, I know that. It's not midnight yet though. And once again, the Course in Miracles says, God has an answer for every problem the moment it occurs. And your part of the problem will be downloaded to you. Your part of the solution, I mean, will be downloaded to you. Your part in the solution will be downloaded to you. God will not tell me what you're supposed to do. God will not tell you what I'm supposed to do. Each and every one of us will receive through our own natural intelligence the guidance, the wisdom to do what we need to do. Our job in each other's lives is simply to say, that sounds great. Can I help you? And as we do that, we will see miracles. We will see the great collective miracles. Way more people love than hate. Miracles occur naturally as expressions of love. But the problem in the world today is that those who hate, hate with conviction. And conviction is a force multiplier. Too many who hate, hate with conviction. They are willing to do whatever it takes 24 hours a day to effectuate their worldview. Too many who love are available on Tuesdays and Thursdays between 2 and 4. And whenever it's convenient, I'd love to show up. No, we have to love with conviction now. We have to get serious now. Just knowing all the wonderful data that we receive at conferences like this is not enough. We've been there. We continue to be there. You don't come to something like this anymore to hear something you don't already know. We come to these conferences to, to, in order to download more deeply, to understand more deeply, more viscerally the things which by now we all already know. What matters is the woman you're gonna be when you leave here, the man you're gonna be when you leave there, the man you're gonna be, the woman you're gonna be, the ladies and gentlemen and everyone else, whoever we are. 
that we leave this place and we become channels. We become channels for the love that emanates through us and that the Holy Spirit, whatever you call it, uses the subconscious information. They get places like this so you are more available. And then one day we will come to understand that in the midst of our pain, God heard our cries. God sent help. God sent you. Thank you very Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's so sweet of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I so appreciate that. Okay, now it's time for us to talk, to talk about anything you want to talk about. Ask whatever you want to ask. Bring up a subject. I will uh, reflect on it to the best of my ability from a larger metaphysical perspective. And Rick is going I'm to help right me. Here. Hi. And let's do this thing. All right. I just want to briefly remind everyone in this audience that we are not experiencing this event alone. There are thousands of Events Plus members streaming live and on demand <coughs> all around the world. And I want to thank you. I'm looking at all of the streaming numbers right now. We have members streaming in Romania, Iceland, Greece, Australia, the UK, the US, Argentina, Mexico, Botswana, Singapore, Ecuador, Panama, Colombia, Canada, France, and Finland. This is truly a moment of global consciousness. Our first question is from the live chat, and it's from Sean, and he's, he's in Washington, DC. I truly appreciate your work. I'm curious. What are some of the most incredible miracles or transformations that you have witnessed through your work? I think when, not long after I began lecturing in Los Angeles, the AIDS crisis uh, emerged. And it was much like COVID, except with COVID, it's easy to get you have a very high chance of surviving. With AIDS in the early days, it was hard to get, but if you got it, you stood a very low chance of survival at that time before there were the drugs that there are now. Um, I was giving lectures on A Course in Miracles, and it seemed to me very um, obvious that people gathering to talk about love meant nothing if we were not willing to be of service to sufferers in our midst. Uh, this is why I get very frustrated uh, when I hear people um, almost use spiritual principle as a justification for turning away from the suffering of others. There is no political or spiritual tradition anywhere that gives any of us a pass on addressing the suffering of other sentient beings. We then came together, just people who were going to these lectures, and we started meeting several times a week in people's homes for people who uh, were going through AIDS and then a lot of the people who didn't have enough to eat and we formed this house called the Centers for Living where people could come and then watch movies and get massages and have support groups. And then some of those people were too sick sometimes to, um, uh, to leave their home so we started delivering meals uh, in a project called Project Angel Food. Today, Project Angel Food has served over 14 million meals. And um, 
I know in my own personal life, the greatest miracles have been shifts in my own personality. That's really the miracle is a shift in perception from fear to love. Places where I might have gotten reactive and today I can stay calm. I might have gotten judgmental today. I'm more capable of telling myself to get over myself. And by the way, I will say this as well. 90% of the time, uh, we were talking about that cell disconnecting. Um, I can honestly say that 90, if probably more than 90% of the time, whenever I need advice uh, from myself, it's to get over myself. This is not about you, Marianne. Um, but in terms of the external world, uh, the work of Project Angel Food and how it's continued through the years and over 14 million meals, I'm very, very proud of the continu continuous work of board, uh, generations of board members and um, um, uh, leadership of the organization and the city of Los Angeles. Um, I am sad. Uh, you know, when I began, the, when we founded the organization, my hope was that it would wither away um, because it would no longer be needed. But because of the uh, unnecessary and um, um, tragic amounts of hunger uh, and lack of health care in this country, many people. Uh, in the Los Angeles area continue to uh, need help, not just because they have AIDS, also other uh, life-challenging illnesses. So I'm, I'm like a proud grandmother seeing how generations of leadership have continued uh, what I see as a kind of miraculous calling of that organization. Our, ne <clears throat> Our next question is from Malvina, who's here in the audience at Gaia Sphere. Given that we are all divine spiritual beings, and we are all reflection of each other. How does one begin to see divinity in certain political leaders that start wars? I am from Poland, and this is very close to my heart. It is certainly the most important question of this moment. Um, there's a line in The Course in Miracles where it says, some people are temporarily inaccessible to the power of the atonement. It also says that the ego is suspicious at best and vicious at worst. That's why people who talk about The Course in Miracles only in terms of pink paint and la-la land, I swear they haven't read the book. Uh, the book makes it very, very clear that the mind, uh, when separated from love, remember, this is the deal. Thought ha every thought creates form on some level. Remember when I talked at the beginning uh, today about splitting the atom. When there is disconnection from the recognition of our oneness, that thought has as much power as does the thought that says we are one. Not in ultimate reality, but within an illusion. But the fact that this world is a hallucination in metaphysical terms doesn't mean that it doesn't matter. If, God forbid, someone in the audience today all of a sudden fell off their chair and didn't seem to be breathing, we would not say, oh, it's just an illusion. It's just a hallucination. Let us continue with our spiritual conversation. No, we wouldn't at all. We would become mature adults very, very quickly, everyone in this room. We would become very quickly, OK, everybody leave. If there's anybody who's a doctor here, anybody who's a nurse here, please stay. Everyone else, please leave quickly. Call 911 immediately. Everybody would immediately move into what do we have to do. So. Even though it's an illusion, as The Course in Miracles says, illusions are as powerful in their effects as is the truth. Within this illusion, there are people who behave in heinous ways. And there is one particularly in the world right now. Uh, and I would like to ask you to join with me in a meditation about this person. 
Um, this is a meditation, you know, integrative healing. We need to apply integrative healing techniques to, to the world the same way we apply integrative healing techniques to the body. It's the mind and the spirit. You go to the doctor and you attend a spiritual support group. So how do we deal with what's going on in Ukraine? Obviously, there are many material issues involved, but that's not up to us uh, right now uh, or at all. We can help apply the spiritual and the psychological. Now, this is a, a, um, a meditation that I would like you to um, think about in terms not only of that person who shall, who not, shall not be named because I don't think it uh, helps to name. We all know who that person is. Um, and this is the meditation that we're going to do. We're going to put a golden egg around this person. If you hone in on this person right now, he is clearly enraged. Um, anybody can feel it. He is enraged. And he is complete, and, and the world knows it, right? And in his rage, he is doing outrageous things. Now, we're going to see him within a golden egg. Now, imagine that the eggshell is made of titanium. So this, this man, there are all of these malevolent thoughts that are emerging from his mind, okay? And he is sending these malevolent thoughts he is then converting them into instructions for malevolent behavior. The missiles emanate from his head, right? The missiles are emanating from his head, then turning into material. Everybody clear about that? So in this meditation, we are going to see this golden egg, titanium, and we are going to see this, uh, these, this, this, you can see it. I mean, anybody can see it. It's, it's bright red and anger and old, and it's going out there, and it can't get past the titanium and turn into physical manifestation. Right? Now, there's something else that's going to go on here. We are going to, in this meditation, see that it can't get past the golden eggshell of titanium, but we are also within the shell seeing golden light emanating towards him from the inside of the shell, that he be healed, that he be reminded of his oneness with us. Okay, would you like to join with me in that meditation? Let's do that right now. <clears throat> <clears throat> and it's powerful to think about this because there are people literally all over the world who are now joining in this meditation. I hope that you will continue this meditation. Uh, it doesn't have to stop here today. We see in the middle of our mind a little ball of golden light. We watch this light as it begins to grow larger and larger until it covers the entire inner vision of our mind. And now we see a very, very large egg-shaped shell, it is golden, and inside the eggshell we see a being, and we all know him, we know who he is, we 
know his activity on the earth at this time. And we allow ourselves to hone in on his mind. And whatever image comes to you, allow that image to play out. Some of you might see yourself healing him. Some of you, whatever your image is, When we recognize his mind, we see anger, we see rage, we see fury, we see thoughts of war. And yet now, as those thoughts move outward from his consciousness, as these malevolent thoughts seek to convert into manifestation, we see that they cannot move beyond the confines of this egg. He is being spiritually quarantined for the sake of the human race. Commands, instructions, thoughts of destruction, of anger, of war, of violence, of killing cannot materialize, they cannot manifest, they cannot move beyond this eggshell. And on the inside of the eggshell, from every part of it, there now pours forth a golden light towards him. Divine medicine. divine healing. As we in this moment remember that there is within him a spark of God. He has forgotten, but in this moment we choose to remember. He has disconnected from it. And we see in our mind's eye a divine reconnection. We see a miraculous transformation as a divine alchemy takes place within the space of this egg. We see a divine being put its hands, its arms, whatever you see, to heal this person of their insane thoughts. For love is greater than hate. May he be reminded 
May he be healed. May he awaken. May all malevolent thought be nullified. May legions of angels come upon the nation of Ukraine. May legions of angels come upon the nation of Russia. May a miracle occur. May they weep no more. May there be peace. May the power of love dissolve the power of fear. Dear God, please help Ukraine. The peoples of Russia and Ukraine and all those affected by this situation. May a miracle occur. And so it is, we say, amen. The world will be a different place on the other side of this. And we will all be called on to be participants in the world in that area, as well as every other that is struggling to be born. My makeup. <laughs> Our next question is from Rhett in the audience. Thank you for running in 2020 and representing love on a global political stage. Thank you. Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Well, I tell you, some, Brad, I, I feel like a failure because if you're asking me that question after what have I been up here for an hour saying where do you go from here? I don't know. God's going to tell you where to go. God's going to tell me where to go. Um, uh, in all seriousness, where do we go from here? It's, it's so interesting that the world seems like a very different place. Uh, since, uh, it's 2022 and 2020 now seems so long ago. Um, COVID has happened since. Um, uh, this war in Ukraine has occurred. Um, um, we, we are, as I've already spoken, at a time of great transformation and great transition. Um, the world is not governed uh, by love. Um, our democracy is not governed by love. Um, the world is governed by geopolitical and economic concerns um, that are not aligned with the ways of nature. Uh, they are aligned with short-term corporate profit maximization rather than humanitarian principles. Um, uh, I could go on and on about that. Um, and we need to decide, uh, both for the sake of our democracy and actually for the sake of our species. Do we want to see the world uh, guided by economic principles or do we want to see the world guided by humanitarian principles? 
Because that is, you know, there's a line in The Course in Miracles where it says, um, there is a point past which the Son of God cannot miscreate. That which is not loving is miscreation. Free will means you can do it if you want to, but at a certain point it stops working. You know, it's very interesting because in our field of transformational wisdom, um, there is quite a bit of sophistication about drugs and alcohol because there's been so, so many times the issues of sobriety what bring people into the field. And I would say probably most of us have either made the call or had someone make the call saying, do you think we ought to do something? And everybody knows what that means. It means, do you think we ought to stage an intervention? Um, did you see her fall down the stairs at the party the other day? Or did you see that ridiculous speech he gave at his daughter's wedding? I mean, this, is, can't, this can't continue. What is an intervention? An intervention is what happens when people around the addict know uh, that if this doesn't stop, they could die. Or they could die. They're drinking themselves to death. Or they could overdose. This can't, we've got to do something. At a certain point, you just feel we need to intervene. It's interesting to me that, the, that people who are very sophisticated knowing that when it comes to drugs or alcohol, if you don't change, you could die, uh, still seem to have this magical thinking about our democracy, magical thinking about the environment, magical thinking as though to say, oh, it'll be okay. Well, no, not necessarily. I think we need to intervene. I think we need an intervention. And that intervention is exactly what we were talking about the immune system. Uh, and the, the intervention that's necessary is on every level, beginning with an intervention within ourselves. I'm going to intervene, and I'm not going to act like a little girl anymore when I'm a grown woman. I'm not going to act like a little boy anymore when I'm a grown man. I'm not going to, you know, we're all wounded, everyone. But you make a choice in life whether or not to act from your wounds. And in too many ways, the transformational community, I, I'm sorry to say, has fostered the infantilization of our culture. It has fostered a kind of self-reference that is not healthy and is not spiritual. Okay? The world cannot wait for us to become enlightened masters before showing up to save our democracy and save our world. So, how things are going to unfold specifically, uh, I, uh, contrary to what some people think about me, I don't have a crystal ball, and um, I, I, I don't know uh, any more than anyone what's going to happen a year from now or two years from now, uh, but like everyone here, I'm working very hard at trying to live in the, in the, in the instant and knowing that as we seek to show up for the present as best we can, the rest will unfold. And to the person who asked, Rhett, Rhett, where are you? Okay, um, you're gonna leave here, and there are many things going on in your life. Your personal relationships, your professional relationships, your relationship to your body, your relationship to your skill, your relationship to your money, your relationship with your past, your relationship with your future, and what's going to happen here from here, if you take everything that's been presented to you this weekend, uh, you'll work to clean it up. Where you've been weak, you're going to decide to be strong. Where you've not owned what you know to be true, you're going to own it. Uh, people that you're carrying these ridiculous grievances towards, you're going to know you can have a grievance or a miracle, you can't have both. Where you've been playing with your wounds and that which is less than the man you're capable of being, you're just going to step out of that stuff. It's never going to do anything for you or others, and you're tired of it. You're going to get, you know, in AA, they say you get sick and tired of getting sick and tired. 
you're going to get as bored by that story as other people around you probably already are. And you are, in your own way, going to ask that the God of your understanding, higher intelligence of the universe, use you. And uh, I can tell you this, if you meditate in the morning and you take what I just said, you're going to meditate in the morning and kick ass in the afternoon. And I'm sure it'll be fantastic. Our next question is from an Events Plus subscriber in Australia. John asks, I am so thankful for your work. It has opened a very peaceful path in my life. When do you think we will start to see our inner peace reflected out into the world? Well, the answer at the biggest level is when we decide. Um, we better hurry. We better hurry. You know, it's not like we have not been warned. And I'm kind of glad that people in other areas of the world are seeing some Americans who aren't just talking about ourselves for a change. Um, they need to know that we are capable of thinking about someone other than just ourselves. And like I said, it's the 11th hour, but it's not midnight yet. And there are so many blinking red lights. We cannot pretend any longer that we have not been warned. We cannot pretend any longer that we, I didn't know the environment was in such trouble. We can't pretend any longer that we don't know about the incredible income inequality in this country and around the world. We can't pretend that we don't know any longer about the racial disparities in criminal sentencing, in, in about the private prison system. We can't pretend anymore that millions don't have health care just because of the insurance companies and the, and the um, uh, uh, um, uh, big pharmaceutical companies. We can't pretend anymore that you know, uh, insulin is so high here compared to other countries. We can't pretend any longer that we don't know about all the carcinogens in our food, our pesticides, et cetera, our air. We can't pretend any longer what fossil fuel extraction, we don't know what fossil fuel extraction is doing to our earth. We can't pretend any longer that we don't know that our foreign policy has been guided by uh, uh, profits for the defense industry rather than genuine desires to wage peace instead of war. So the days of pretending we don't know are over. Part of what's going on in this moment is the bankruptcy of an old system is, being, is clear for everyone to see. When we first see it, it's painful. We feel some shame. But you know what? That's healthy shame. And I, you know, one of the things, I mentioned my running for president. This is what I learned from that experience. I learned two things. I learned how corrupt the system, the corrupt, the system itself is even more corrupt than I feared, but people are even more wonderful than I hoped. Aww. And you know, one of the most, I know this is not, you know, I'm in, in Denver, you're not in a, in a primary, in an early primary state. If anybody here is from Iowa or New Hampshire or South Carolina <clears throat> or um, South Carolina, uh, Iowa, Nevada, and, and, um, and uh, Iowa, I, I want to tell you about the people of those four states. They know that when they vote for a primary in a presidential primary, they're very aware that they're making a decision that could affect the world. 
and they take it so seriously. It is so moving. So I could be talking to you about something uh, political. I could even be talking about something political during a campaign. But it's a different listening if you live in one of those four states. Because you're sitting there kicking the tire, as you should. The people are so aware of the issues. And I really came out of the experiencing knowing that democracy, when representative democracy is allowed to work, it really is a power that can be depended upon to govern a great nation. And that's why the assaults on democracy, what we're seeing in the world today. So whether it's playing out in this country or playing out in the world, the struggle between democracy and autocracy, you and I are living in very significant times and we are being called upon to be very significant thinkers. But you know what? Let me tell you something. I have spent most of my career, starting with the AIDS crisis, very up close and personal with people who got very bad news. In many ways in my life, people don't come to me because things are going well. You know, if people call and say, could, could I have a session with you? It's usually not because I just want to tell you how great everything is, right? And so I find myself talking to someone who just got the worst news possible. The test came back, and it's cancer. Um, my spouse is leaving, and I had no idea we were even in trouble. Uh, we can't save my business. I'm going to have to go bankrupt. Uh, my child is on heroin. Um, someone I love very much just died. And what I have seen over and over and over, and listen, we all live our lives. I've seen it in my own life, is that sometimes it's when people get the worst news possible that they find out how smart they are. That somebody was just told, let's say, the test came back, it was cancer. Somebody is given that news, and in the first five minutes, huge waves of ultimately unimportant consideration that have dominated their consciousness for years falls away. And all of a sudden, total focus. All of a sudden, what doesn't matter, doesn't matter. Yeah. Doctor, what are we going to do? Explain everything to me. What, what do the tests say? What are my options? And all of a sudden, people learn, I had it in me to be noble. I had it in me to be smart. I had it in me to be focused. I was just, my brain has been, it, it, it's like there are these forces of fear in all of their manifestations that have hollowed out the moral center as individuals, and as a society. So there is a way in which what's happening right now, whether it has to do with COVID, whether it has to do with Ukraine or anything else, the fact that it's awakening is, awakening is not the bad news. You know, one of the things that happened um, during COVID and so forth, uh, Black Lives Matter, et cetera, a lot of black people would say, oh, you're just learning these things, huh? Because we've known. A lot of things were going wrong in certain neighborhoods for a long time. And a lot of people were just wearing blinders. You can't wear your blinders anymore. You can't turn on television and not see it. But in the midst of this, you know, in metaphysics and in physics, it's the chaos and the kairos. You know, it's a chaotic moment. But out of this, we are considering new possibilities. The Course in Miracles says, salvation begins when you consider the possibility there might be 
another way. And the same old, same old will not work. And so we are open to things. We are open to new things. We're opening to ideas that maybe we had not been open to before. And like I said earlier, for those of us who are Americans, we're kind of late. To get, a lot of Americans are a little late to like wake up to what's going on here. But when we do wake up, we slam it. And I have seen too much in my life not to believe in people. And I've experienced too much in my life not to have faith in what God can do inside us. So we all know, you know, crisis, opportunity. And each and every one of us has a part to play. I believe there's something very profound about honoring your incarnation, your color, your culture, your religion, your sex, your sexuality. You are assigned to that. Black man, big deal to be incarnate as a black man right now. But it's a big deal to be incarnate whoever you are. And your job is to be within that and lift the vibrations of that. That's your assignment. So huge life and your life are as important as you can make, wish to make it. No one can determine for you the level of significance and seriousness with which you choose to play life. And there are all kinds of forces that will actually invite you into an infantilized version of yourself. And that's the problem in this country. Too many women who behave like little girls and too many men who behave like little girls, like little boys. <laughs> and little girls. <laughs> Some of the men were maybe that one. The whole sexual thing is very fluid right now. <laughs> you get my point. OK. OK. <clears throat> Our next question is from Brenda here in the audience at Gaiosphere. <coughs> How do you know if you're following your life's purpose when there are infinite possibilities? How do you develop discernment to know for sure? The Course in Miracles says, you will know because you will feel peace. You know, sometimes people will say, somebody will say, I'm really upset about this, I'm really upset about this, and somebody else will say, oh, don't feel bad. And I'm like, maybe they need to feel bad. Maybe that's that psychic message. You know, I lived in Detroit for a long time. There's this matriarchy of women in Detroit. I feel a disturbance in my heart. I feel a disturbance in my heart, this woman used to say to me. If your heart is disturbed, it means something. It doesn't mean you have an anxiety disorder. The world has an anxiety disorder, okay? And so the fact that something in you is saying, this isn't right, probably means it isn't right. If something in you says, I just don't think I'm supposed to do that, you're probably not. And if you have this nagging suspicion, you're wasting your life, you probably are. <laughs> but this is why we meditate. This is why the quieting of the mind. In both um, Judaism and Christianity, there's the term, the small, still voice for God. But the ego speaks first, and the ego speaks loudest. That's why I said earlier, don't wake up in the morning and go directly to the newspaper and hear the cacophony of the, of the world. Go into the quiet. I know Michael Beckwith, Beckwith was here. I heard him say once, if you've prayed before, then you look at the newspaper, and it's the world giving you its prayer list. You, it's, it's who you are. Uh, listen, things happen in our personal lives and in our collective life. And our collective life right now has its challenges. The question, whether it's personal or collective, is who we choose to be in the space of what's happening. 
we all go through stuff. Like I said, we all have wounds. Are you going to act from the wound? Or are you going to surrender yourself that you might be a part of the solution? You are here to transform. You are here to heal it. But, you know, The Course in Miracles says you are heir to the laws that prevail within the world you identify with. If you only identify with the material realm in which everything's falling apart, then you'll be in constant, ain't it awful? But if you identify with the world behind it, it's like, remember that, well, some of you don't, but some of you are old enough. Remember that TV show, The, the Mission? Is it was called The Mission? Is that what it was called? Uh, where every, this is your mission, should you choose to receive it? So the thing is, the world's in trouble, but it's like I said, that's why you're here. So instead, you're in the midst of this situation. It could be you, it could be your people, it could be whatever it is. But Spirit's saying, and so we sent you, because you are here to be the alternative. You are here to be someone who stands within this situation and knows that the power of love is greater than this. If I forgive, a miracle will happen. I can see beyond what's happening on the material world to what's possible. If someone is behaving like a jerk, they have just forgotten who they are. If I limit my perception to that perception, which I perceive their, big, their guilt, then they have fallen asleep to who they are, which means I'm falling asleep to who they are, which means I'm falling asleep to who I am. I can instead choose to remain awake to their truth, which we tried to do to you know, with you-know-who today. And that helps awaken them right? And every moment I have an opportunity to notice all the ways in which I'm separating myself from others versus the invitation to be bigger than that. I'm not here just to serve myself. I'm here to serve the ages. This, this, my life is as important as I choose to make it. The past is over. If I bring my grievances from the past, then I will recreate more in the future that's just like the past, but I can allow in the present for there to be a break from the past, because the past is only in my mind anyway. I can program the future in the present by knowing that all things are possible. Limits don't exist except in my mind. In The Course in Miracles, it says, you know, I told you that in the Course, there's a, uh, we're supposed to pray every morning. Where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say and to whom? If you're given an assignment, there's a line in the Course, is it reasonable to assume that I would give you a job to do and then not provide you with the means of its accomplishment. It also says the presence of fear is a sure sign you're trusting in your own strength. You're not the water, you're the faucet. You're not the electricity, you're the lamp. Think of the universe as a house that's wired for electricity. It doesn't matter what shape the lamp. It doesn't matter what color the lamp. It doesn't matter what form the lamp or design the lamp. It only matters whether the lamp is plugged in. And that's what can happen and will happen now. And that's what our meditation practice is. That's what our prayer practice is. Whatever yours is, you either know what your practice is and you're doing it. You think what I'm saying makes sense, but you, but you, and you know what your practice is, but you're saying to yourself right now, I should probably do it all the time more. And, or you might be saying, I guess she's right, but I don't even know what that would be for me, in which case books are going to fall at your feet over the next few days. And you can remember that this is not just about us. There are groups who, in their own way, are having the same kinds of conversations this weekend that we are having. That it might not be on the news, but it's happening. On the news, you see the world is falling apart. But we know that world is coming together. We know the silver ligaments 
and filaments that are connecting us to people literally all over the world. We know way more people love than fear. We know the love is awakening. And as I said before, make sure you pray. Make sure you meditate. Do your vertical. The horizontal will happen. You will kick ass and you will die one day knowing while I was here, I helped. Thank you very, very, very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gaia's Consciousness Podcast. Learn even more at Gaia.com and watch interviews, movies, and original series, all to empower the evolution of consciousness. For more information, visit GaiaPodcast.com. Gaia. Watch. Belong. Transform. Transform.